All right. <clears throat> Let's just pray before we start. Father, I just ask that we may not look at these writings of Revelation as just being some ancient history, but you would impress on us the relevance of these letters to the seven churches and that we would take it to our hearts and allow it to change us where it's needed to be changed. Help us to have a heart for the church at large. Much departure has come in. Apostasy has set in. We're living in dark days, but thankfully <clears throat> we're encouraged <clears throat> through these letters that there are overcomers in each of these situations. Help us all here to be overcomers in whatever we uh, may be facing in the world in which we live. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you may wonder why <clears throat> I had Franz read these verses from uh, John 21. First of all, <clears throat> as you will notice if you read through the letters to the seven churches, it always begins by Jesus revealing himself in a special way which is actually the antidote or the solution to the problem that exists in the church. <clears throat> it's written to the angel of the, of the church in whatever church he's writing to. And <clears throat> when he does that, he's writing to the angel which can be translated messenger. <clears throat> and if you were to go to the Strong's Concordance, you would find out Strong's says, by implication, the pastor. <clears throat> and I thought, well, maybe that's a little bit too narrow because there are other giftings within the body of Christ. But in saying that, there are those that are responsible for these churches and they need to be aware of the fact of how Jesus feels. And when we read what Franz has read here, <clears throat> when the Lord speaks to Peter, after his resurrection, Peter had denied the Lord. And many of us would think if we had done that, it was game over. But grace is so much more than that. And now he's talking to Peter and he says to him, do you love me more than these? He's looking around at the other disciples. Peter, do you love me more than the rest of them here? <clears throat> then he says, feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Peter keeps saying, Lord, you know I love you. And we won't get into the details of that. But then he says, then feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. The next one is, do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep. <clears throat> I'm highlighting this basically because Peter was going to be in a position where he would be a leader. And Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Many have thought, we don't get it from Scripture, that Peter perhaps was the pastor of the church in in um, Jerusalem. Whatever it be, the first thing that Jesus wants those that are in that position to know is that they need to love him. But let's back up a step. I know it comes later in 
this discussion. But the Apostle John, first of all, knew that Jesus loved him. We need to start there. But Jesus loves me. But Peter himself is challenged. Do you love me? Why? Because his responsibility was going to be to feed the sheep, to care for the the sheep, and to look after the lambs, feed them, give them what they need. And when we read the letters to the seven churches, we begin to see there's a breakdown in that. And I think if we looked at them closely, we would begin to see that the underlying problem that was facing the churches was their lack of love for Christ. We started with Laodicea. There was a lukewarmness there, neither cold nor hot. Those in leadership, this is written to those in the leadership, need to take responsibility. Yes, each of us has a responsibility to neither be cold or hot, but he's speaking and writing these letters to those that have responsibility. But if they don't have, first of all, a love for Christ, a burning in their heart for Christ, they can never minister to the the sheep and never supply the needs and never take them to green pastures and still waters. It's essential that those that speak the word of God, first of all, have a love for Christ and know that he loves them. Without that, how can we have a proper concern for the sheep? It means that we have to have a heart like Christ. He loves us. He died for us. And now, we as sheep, and we're all sheep, including myself, need to be fed. I'm only going to go through the slides just to read these verses to the church at Thyatira from Revelation 2. And to the angel or the divine messenger to the church in Thyatira write, I know your deeds, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your last deeds are more numerous and greater than the first. These are the words of the Son of God who has eyes that flash like a flame of fire in righteous judgment and whose feet are like burnished white hot bronze But I have this charge against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, claiming to be inspired, and she teaches and misleads my bondservants so that they commit acts of sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, to change her inner self and her sinful way of thinking, but she has no desire to repent of her immorality and refuses to do so. Listen carefully. I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her I will bring into great anguish unless they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children, her followers, with pestilence, thoroughly annihilating them, and all the churches will know, without any doubt, that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, the innermost thoughts and purposes, And I will give to each one of you a reward or punishment according to your deeds. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, 
who have not explored and known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I place no further burden on you except to hold tightly to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God, and he who keeps my deeds, doing things that please me until the very end, to him I will give authority and power over the nations, and he shall shepherd and rule them with a rod of iron as the earthen pots are broken in pieces, as I also have received authority and power to rule them from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. I may focus on one or two things without going verse by verse. I'll read some of this and make a few comments as we go From verse 18 to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these things says the words of the Son of God. They needed to be reminded of the great work that Jesus had come to accomplish as sent as the Son of God. On God's behalf, God knew the situation in the world of sin. God knew where it was going to lead to. And before time, he had devised and planned a way in which mankind could be redeemed back to himself. And he reminds them here in Thyatira that he is the Son of God. He's been sent by God. He has authority to say what he's saying. He says, sit up and take notice to what I'm saying. Underlying all of what he says here even although it may seem very severe, is the fact underlying that Jesus loves us. He wouldn't be writing this letter to Thyatira and trying to correct a wrong if it wasn't for the fact he loved them. He had given his life for them, and something had transpired in their lives that took them away from Christ. That love that they'd had for Christ at one time probably had become diminished. And he writes them to correct that. He has eyes that flash like a flame of fire. Those eyes of Christ are penetrating. If Peter was here, he would have told you. He had denied the Lord. And then he looked, and he saw the Lord looking at him. Jesus didn't have to say anything to him. Those eyes penetrated to the very soul of Peter and brought him under conviction, and he repented. And he says he also has feet like burnished brass. Brass in Scripture always refers to judgment. If you go back to the time when Israel was in the wilderness, and uh, there was the... um, brazen serpent that God had Moses raise up because they had been bitten by the serpents. When they looked, they lived. But that brazen serpent was a sign of God's judgment and the Israelites were dying one after another very quickly until Moses began to intercede and God says, put 
make a brazen serpent and put it on a pole. And Jesus in John's gospel is recorded. He says, I was that one. He has feet of bronze. Don't forget. He doesn't overlook anything that's going on that is out of order. We may think we can carry on and we're in charge, not realizing that God himself is in charge. And he says, I know your deeds. It's very interesting when you look at the order in which Jesus speaks to the churches. He first of all reveals himself. Then if there's something that they can be commended for is what he does next. Now that you have that information, go back into Paul's epistles and you'll find that Paul does exactly the same thing. He begins his epistles with something that can be commented about their successes and the good things before he introduces the things that need to be changed within the church. That's exactly the same way as Jesus writes these letters to the seven churches. And he's taking note and he says, he says, um, the first thing is love. And that love that he talks about that they have is agape love. It's the love of God. It's that they love their fellow man regardless of whether they're believers or non-believers. They have that kind of love. It's the love that God so loved the world that he gave. That's the kind of love. They demonstrated that. And they had faith. They had a conviction that God exists and that God was the one that had given his son in order that we might have eternal life. They were clear on those points. They had patience. They had service. They were service, servicing the community. Most of this is their outward service. Yes, it can be among believers, but this is outlooking. And this was their attitude towards those that are not saved. But they have patient endurance. That's one who doesn't swerve at all. They have faith and piety. And even through great trials and sufferings, that's what they were like. No matter what was thrown against them from the world system, they stood up against it. And they were those that had patient endurance. And then he says, your last deeds are even better than the first. I mean, let's just stop the letter. That's good news. And go home. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak with the tongue, the tongues of men are angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I have a faith that can, uh, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over, over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I don't gain anything. Love is the basis, but in order to show that agape love, 
First of all, they must have a love for the Lord. You can't have a love for your fellow man in the way that God does unless you love the Lord, first of all, and know that he loves you. And they were commended for all their ministry that they were carrying on. But, another one of these buts in Scripture, but I have this charge against you. Why would he not just end the letter with the good news? It's because we need to be challenged. As I believe we were challenged last week, every one of us and myself included. But he says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, claiming to be inspired and she teaches and misleads my bondservants so that they commit acts of sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. My question is, and I hope your question is, how was that possible? How was it possible that they would listen to a false prophet? There are many false prophets that have gone out into the world right from the very beginning of church history. And we're beginning to see it increase in the days in which we are. What is the antidote towards not being taken in by the false prophets? The antidote is a simple, simple antidote. Know the scriptures. Simple. Don't think that you can start today and you're going to be equipped tomorrow. This is a long race that we're in. This is a long journey that many of us have been in. And we need to know the scriptures because this would have prevented the church here from following wrong teaching. So that's what Peter writes about in his epistle. But there were also false prophets in Israel just as there will be false prophets among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God commanded them, condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Thank God. There are those out there like that, and you think, how long, God, are you going to allow this to go on? And as a result, when we begin to look at it, we become discouraged. But you know, the Bereans were those that searched the scriptures to see if what Paul says was true. And I've mentioned this before because it has impacted my, myself. I'm thinking how disrespectful, if you will, that they would search the scriptures after Paul had preached and after Paul had taught them things, they searched the scriptures to check up and see if what Paul says is right. And Paul could have said, 
don't you realize that I'm an apostle? Just listen to me. No, the Bereans didn't. They searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. That's the Old Testament scriptures. We have that responsibility. Don't put that responsibility off onto somebody else, the pastor or somebody in leadership. We all have that responsibility. Let me tell you a true story, as if I wouldn't tell you a true story. A number of years ago, we attended a church. Um, It's that long ago, I'm trying to think. Possibly, maybe there were 30 to 40 people, maybe. And the pastor had resigned. And I've gone through this enough times (laughs) that it hurts. The pastor had resigned, and after he left, they came to me and asked me if I would help fill in, which I did. The pastor, his gifting was an evangelist. There was no question about that. And he was a chaplain for the Royal Canadian Legion. So back in those days, there were a lot of the vets that were dying, and he was taking funerals most weeks. And he would preach the gospel. He had a passion for souls. No question about it. But he would not teach a Bible study. He didn't feel he was equipped. In other words, he was not a teacher. But they didn't really know what to do about that. So as a result, there was a lack within the congregation of any sound teaching. Nothing clear. So I offered. I said, if anyone would like what I can offer you, if you would like to get together some night during the week, and I'll go over and show you how to study the scriptures for yourself, if there's any interest in it. If not, that's fine. Well, to my surprise, three-quarters of the church decided that, yes, we're coming out. So I wanted to do something very simple, very brief. So we looked at the book of Jude, because it's only one chapter. And we started going through the book of Jude. And every time we got together, we went around the circle and everybody read a verse. Okay, so we read the whole book of Jude every time we got together. Then we'd get into explaining different things. After about, I think it's at least five or six times. I said to them this night that I got there, I said, now, we've read the book of Jude five or six times, and I'm quite sure that there's a great majority of believers that have never even read it once. But at least you've read it five or six times, so you know what it is. So let me explain to you exactly what Jude's writing about. So I began, and I went over and over, and I said, so this is what Jude says. When I was all finished, I said, now is that right? Is this what Jude has been writing about? I looked around the table of about 20 people, and there's kind of silence, blank looks on everybody's faces. I said, did I say what Jude's talking about or not? So I finally had to say, Stephen... Is that, was that right? And, well, I wasn't sure. You know. 
And this went around for a bit until finally one lady spoke up. And she had been saved for less than a year. And she says, I don't think so. I said, what? Is what I said not right? She says, I don't think so. I says, well, what did Jude say? And she began to go through it. And she says, this is what Jude said. I looked around at everybody else and I said, is what she said is true? Or what I said is true? I had told them the exact opposite of what the book of Jude was saying. With that, I turned to them and I said, look at how dangerous it is. If I was your pastor, I can say anything I want and you're not going to pick up on it. That's why I appreciate those that come and talk to me. I'm not always going to be right. I don't know everything. But you study the scriptures. And if those in that church had studied the book of Jude and they'd read it five or six times and they still didn't get it, I mean, what's the rest of the church like? Is this a sample? Right? You need to get into the word for yourself. And this is the criticism that Jesus has to the church here. You're going after false teaching, which then leads me to another situation. I was at another church, and the pastor of that church had been asked over the previous two years to to take a Bible study, and he wouldn't take a Bible study. And when we came along within months, one of the congregation asked me afterwards, Dave, would you do a Bible study for us? I said, why? Well, we've been asking the pastor for two years, and he won't do one. I said, wow, that's something. But well, there was one night in that study, a question came up that was outside of what we were studying. So I didn't have it in the study curriculum that I had given them. I had written a curriculum. And here's something I found out. This is one of these ones, and I'm not going to go into it right now, but one of these things in Scripture that at first blush you might think this is what it says, which in fact it's not what it's saying. You have to read it in its context. So I said to them, okay, there's a bit more in this that we need to cover. So let's review this next week. So the next week I prepared the scripture verses that were in controversy and went over and explained it to them. Well, here's what had happened. They had heard from a previous pastor something that was explaining that that was not true. And I said to them, okay, let's look at this verse by verse. Is this correct? And I explained it to them based on the context of the scripture. This is the complete opposite to what you were taught. Here's the other lesson I learned. Error is easily taken in by people but it's really difficult to get people to turn from false teaching to true teaching. This is what the word says, but the pastor said this, no. What takes precedence? The scripture takes precedence. Never forget that. 
You see, with this type of thing that's going on in a church where there's false teaching, in this particular case, they were doing everything right as far as what was outside the church and ministering to the community, and they're commended for it. Nothing wrong with that. Satan then could not really attack that much because they were very successful in that area. But where he does attack is inside. He couldn't get any victory outside the church in what they were doing. But inside, there were false teachers. And this goes back to Jezebel. It's only a type from the Old Testament. But she did a similar thing in her background and had been in idolatry. And she was trying to introduce that into Israel. So Jesus says about this, he says, I gave her time to repent. You see, God's long-suffering, it has an end. We may get discouraged when we see what is going on in Christendom at large, but God is not turning a blind eye. He has eyes of flame of fire, feet of brass, and that is to stamp out that which is not right and evil. God is still in charge, and Satan will not be able to overcome the church. So he says, listen carefully. I will throw her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her, I will bring into a great anguish unless they repent of their deeds. That's why Jesus introduces himself as the Son of God. He has authority. His long-suffering is long, but there's a limit, and it can be corrected. Judgment begins at the house of God. Why does judgment begin at the house of God? Because it's not perfect. There's no church that's perfect. I've tried to join some. And the moment I did, it was no longer perfect. But what he says here is that they have to repent. That takes them back to a time of salvation. These false prophets are false prophets because they're not real prophets. They got in somehow into the church. And we need to be aware of that. Do not let that happen. And he says, and I will kill her children with pestilence. All the churches will know. Oh, that God would move in our day so that all the churches would know that God himself is in charge. We cannot run a church on our own. Church was not designed for that. The church has a head, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body is joined together. The head, the one that loves us, if we depart from that love, we're going to get off course. We must constantly be reminded of his love. We must constantly go back to the cross and see how much he loved us. This judgment will convince all that Jesus knows what is in the hearts of his people, even the secret acts of wickedness that are concealed from human view. There's many things that we may think nobody else knows about, 
God knows. Here's the encouraging thing. But, another but. We're switching back again to the first part. But, to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not explored and known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you except hold tight to what you have until I come. To the rest who are in Thyatira, are you part of the rest in Thyatira? that cannot be moved by the false teaching? If you are, you're someone that has studied the scriptures and you have a firm firm foundation on which to stand against the evil that's trying to penetrate the church. But to the rest, let's trust that we're the rest in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching. And then we come to the overcomer And he says regarding the overcomer, he keeps my deeds. Those are the things that Jesus has given us, if you will, to simplify it, that we live by as a Christian. His commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. His commandment is what? Love one another. How do we show that? Spoke about this last Sunday night. How do we know that? When was the last time you heard somebody say, I love you? And this happened to me last Sunday. And it impacted me. I'm speaking with someone and when we parted, I said, I love you. I wrote Sim last night. I'd had an email from Charles Price. I keep him up to date with what's going on in Sim's life. And when I signed off a short note to Sim, I signed off, I love you, Dave. Can we express that love? You see, If God knit us together in such a way, we're in one body, and we truly love one another, we're looking out for each other, we're going to do the best we can to help them in whatever difficulty we're going in, and none of us are exempt. We're all going through stuff, me included. Everybody's going through stuff. But we need to come along with one another and encourage one another. And the best way is to show it. Flory, I love you. Right? The first time that happened to me, Flory, I was helping a neighbor of mine restore a wooden boat. It was a 1953 wooden boat. Not a believer. Well, I shouldn't say that. He understands. I don't know if he's actually made and, and come to God and confessed his sins. But I've gone over with him the gospel message a number of times. And he says, Dave, I, that's what I believe. And one day I was finishing up, and this was over a whole summer season. I mean, I forget how many hours we put in this together. Worked along well together. And I came around the back of the boat to leave that day, and he came over, and he gave me a big hug, and he says, Dave, I love you. I didn't know how to take that. How often does that happen? But that ought to be normal within the body of Christ. 
I love you. And that love will overcome so many things. But he says to the rest of you, hold tight to what you've got. You, we have something. You have something. You've been coming to this place. Sim's been laboring for seven years. You're bound to have something. And the Lord says, hold tight to what you got. Don't let it go. You're in a battle. Satan wants to take that away from you. That security, that love that you have, everything that has been put into you by Christ when you first were saved, he says, hang on to it. Why? Because there's opposition, and there will be continually be opposition. But hang tight. Keep a hold of it. Don't forget the basics. And those that do, I will give you authority and power over the nations. And he, that is the overcomer, shall shepherd and rule them with a rod of iron. Wow. I thought that was just Jesus. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And now he's saying to those of us that are overcoming false teaching and hanging on to the word, staying true to our foundations, we're going to rule with authority and power over the nations with Jesus Christ. Man, what else could you ask for? You say, well, I didn't do much. All I did was I just, I just stuck to the word. I knew this is what the word said, and I stood my ground on... No, the Lord looks at that as something special. And he says, you're going to rule with me over the nations with a rod of iron as I also have received authority and power to rule over them from my Father and I give to him the morning star. What's the morning star? Revelation 22 says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify these things to you in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. What's he give us? What has he given us? Himself. Are we deserving? No. But he gives us himself. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My question today in closing If you're a leader, how are you leading? If you're following a leader, who are you following? We can all have our favorite preachers. We can watch them online. We can read their books. But who is leading you? If it's not Jesus Christ. You're going to wander. You're going to be confused. And you're going to follow whatever teaching is out there, whether it be good or bad. We need to focus on the fact Jesus loves us. He has the best in, in mind for us. And he gives us a warning. If you're attending a church where there's false teaching, he doesn't say, leave it interestingly enough, but overcome. And the only way you can overcome is to stand firm on the Word of God. I pray that that will be...